Good morning. Happy Fourth uh, of July. Uh, it is uh, this holiday. Uh, we remember the birth of our country, and we have a lot to be thankful for. This, this has been uh, one heck of a year for us as a country. We've been through a lot, and so we have a lot to be thankful for and to celebrate. And I guess the way that we celebrate here in this country is barbecuing and eating potato salad and blowing stuff up. And uh, so I hope you're able to see some fireworks tonight. Uh, but beyond that, I hope you are able to take a moment and uh, thank God for the, the rights and the privileges, the blessings and freedoms that we have as Americans. In light of that, let me just take a minute and uh, go before the Lord and give God thanks and uh, lift this sermon up to Him. Father God, we thank you that we have, uh, that we have a country in which we are able to uh, gather with, without the fear of uh, persecution or the fear of being shut down. But God, we gather this morning with a lot of freedoms, and uh, we thank you for the many blessings that you have given us, uh, much more beyond being, a, being an American, but to be a child of yours. And so, God, we pray now that as we turn our hearts, to, uh, our hearts and our minds to your word, that you would speak to us. God, may you be our teacher this morning. May you come and minister to us. God, whenever we gather together, I'm very mindful that each of us come from different places, having different experiences in this past week. And uh, you are the only one that can meet each person where they are at right now. And so, God, we call upon you and ask that you would come speak to us and uh, meet us where we are at, minister to us by the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was growing up, my favorite movie was Rocky. Uh, I loved Rocky Balboa. In fact, I watched that movie so many times that the VHS tape uh, got worn out put it in the v VCR and play that v v VHS tape. Some of you have no idea what a VCR or a VHS tape is. And uh, you visit the Smithsonian Museum someday. They probably got it in the ancient artifacts there. Uh, but my brother and I watched that movie over and over and over again, especially the training scenes. We'd pause it, we'd get all pumped up, pause it, run outside, do sprints up and down the lawn, push-ups and sit-ups, and uh, we loved that movie. In fact, uh, I, when I really loved that movie, I was about Dawson's age. So I saw that it was going to be on TV again this past week, and I recorded it. Well, actually, this was a couple weeks ago, and I recorded it, and I watched it with Dawson, thinking, oh, he'll think this is the greatest movie ever. That's what I thought when I was his age. And, uh, and so we watched it, and we get done, and he says, what? That's the ending? He loses the last match? He says, that's a terrible ending. I was so disappointed because this is my favorite movie, but he thought it was a terrible ending. You know, we kind of expect the hero to win at the end, right? Rocky's very unique like that. He loses the last match. But I tried to explain to Dawson, you know, I think it's actually better that way. It's more realistic uh, because uh, just to go 15 rounds with the champ, Apollo Creed, in this movie, I said, I think that's a part of what makes it so great. And he said, no, he's supposed to win at the end. And that's what we want in a movie. 
A good movie has a happy ending usually. You know, the hero rides off into the sunset to live happily ever after. Well, this morning we've got to the ending of the book of Nehemiah. In fact, this is uh, the last uh, sermon in our series that we've called Blueprints for a Rebuild. And, and, I, and I think you'll agree with me, but I've thought this has just been the most wonderful sermon series. Like it's, it's guided, like we've seen parallels over and over again with what we've been experiencing in our lives or in our church. The people are transitioning back into the city of Jerusalem. They're rebuilding the walls. They're, they're renewing their commitment to God. And, uh, and we've brought all of those themes into our lives through this, through this series, and it's made perfect sense. I think we've been excited about the vision of revival, and we've, uh, and we've thought about how we can rebuild our church, so to speak, as we regather to, to be focused on uh, building up the people of God and reaching the community around us. So it's been so great, and then we get to the last chapter, and I'll, and I'll tell you, it, you're going to feel a little bit like Dawson. You're going to go, what? That's the ending? It's supposed to be this happy right off into the sunset ending, and to be honest, that's not what we get. In, uh, in Nehemiah 13, there is a little bit of a disappointment that we got to wrestle with. How does this apply to our lives? In the last chapter, Nehemiah has now been, there's a little bit of gap. He's been away from the city of Jerusalem for 12 years. And uh, we kind of piece this together. Going back to the beginning of the story, we're given a, a time. It says in Nehemiah 2.1, In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes. And now jumping over to the last chapter, 13.6 says, The 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon. So it's gone from the 20th year at the beginning to the 32nd year at the end. And uh, so, obviously, this, has been a tw this book covers 12 years' time. Now, Nehemiah was in the city. This, the walls only took 52 days to rebuild, which in itself is quite amazing. Like, God is in this. He's been at work. But when the walls were rebuilt and, uh, the, and uh, the people had begun to move back into the city, uh, Nehemiah went back to his old job as cupbearer to the king. He's been away for 12 years, and now he comes to, back to see how the city's doing. And to be honest, he's very disappointed. Nehemiah, in Nehemiah 13, verses 4 and 5, we read about one of his arch enemies, Tobiah. Eliashab the priest was closely associated with Tobiah and had provided him with a large room formerly used to store grain offerings and incense and temple art articles. And if you remember, Tobiah is this, this jerk. I mean, Tobiah has been the one that, as they began to rebuild the wall, he stood in opposition to uh, Nehemiah and the Israelites over and over again. He's the guy that ridiculed him. His, his ridicule was almost humorous. You, you might remember it. He's the one that said, look at that silly wall. Even if a fox were to jump on that wall, it'd come crumbling down. This is Tobiah. He's an enemy of, uh, he stood in opposition to Nehemiah and the people over and over again. Now we get to the last city. He's living in the temple. 
The high priest has given him a large room where the temple articles are supposed to be stored. Going on in this chapter, verse 15, we see another disappointment. We see that the people are dishonoring the Lord on the Sabbath. This is, their, this is supposed to be their day of worship, that they promised God with all their hearts. In chapter 10 it said, we promise with an oath and a curse that we will honor the Lord on the Sabbath. And then, in fifth, uh, and then in verse 15 it says, In those days I saw people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in grain and loading it on donkeys together with wine, grapes, figs, and other kinds of loads. And they were bringing all this into Jerusalem on the Sabbath. Therefore I warned them, against selling food on that day. So a little extra money over worship. It was profit over praise. And how many times do we see that happening in our culture today as well? And then towards the end of the chapter, in verses 23 and 27, we read about how the Israelites have sinned against God by marrying their neighbors who did not know or follow God. Again, another one of their broken promises from chapter 10. Verse 27 calls it a terrible wickedness, and he says they were, they were being unfaithful to our God. Verse 27, but uh, must we hear now that you are doing, that you too are doing all this terrible wickedness and are being unfaithful to our God by marrying uh, former foreign women? And you can sense the frustration in Nehemiah's voice. Must we hear now? Like, he's so disappointed. That's the last chapter of Nehemiah. I mean, what a bummer of a last chapter. Like, if I wrote the book, I, I would have cut it off in, verse, in chapter 12. Nehemiah 12, 43 seems like it would have been a far better, more Hollywood-like ending. Nehemiah uh, 1243 says, And on that day they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The women and children also rejoiced, and the sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. Bam! That's it, right? In the book there. There you got it, Nehemiah. That's roll the credits. That's the Hollywood ending. And, uh, and I guess... God is more realistic about things than we like to be. Because God recognizes that often, even with Christ in our life, we don't ride off into the sunset to live happily ever after. You know, sometimes I think we need to remember that so that we deal with grace with ourselves. Because I know for me, I can get frustrated with myself even in my own spiritual walk. God, I should be farther than this. How come I keep wrestling with this? We need to remember that very seldomly it's a straight incline. Like there's usually a lot, of, a lot more ups and downs in the, in the spiritual uh, walk. We need to remember that when we think of God's people in the church. You know, there's ups and downs. We need to remember that when we hope for more spiritual growth with our family and friends. If we were to graph the Christian walk, sometimes I think we'd like to think, okay, we started here, and it goes here, and 
And then I went through this, and here I am today, and tomorrow I'll be here. But very seldomly is it that neat, straight line. The, the, the line graph for our Christian walk probably goes a lot more like this. Hopefully over time it's going up, but there's a lot of fits and starts. And Nehemiah uh, walks through the city, and he's been away for 12 years, and you can sense that he is frustrated with where the people are at in their relationship with God. In fact, as he walks through the city, we have him repeat a prayer three times. Three times he says, remember me. Remember me. In fact, I think he kind of walks through the city and in a sense, he's beginning to, to look at, with frustration at, other, at what the people have done and he begins to, be, begins to focus on himself. The nation has fallen away, but God, remember me. Verse 14, he says, Remember me for this, my God, and do not blot out what I have so faithfully done for the house of my God and its services. Verse 22, Remember me for this also, my God, and show mercy according to your great love. And then in verse uh, 31, Remember me with favor, my God. You know, when I hear Nehemiah's prayer repeated, Remember me, remember me, remember me, uh, our ears ought to perk up because I think that there are times in each of our lives where we feel like God has forgotten about us. And maybe you've experienced that. Maybe you're even experiencing that right now. You know, you think back on the glory days of when uh, there was revival in the land, when we think of the Israelites, and maybe you think about the uh, past times in your life where you felt like, I was so close to the Lord. And then you uh, look around and you think, it's not like that anymore, and you begin to think, has God forgotten about me? Maybe it's an unanswered prayer. Has God forgotten about me? Maybe it's a long-term struggle in life that just persists. Has God forgotten about me? A broken relationship that never gets repaired. A lost loved one that you'll never have back. An addiction that you just can't seem to break or get over. And, uh, and the hurt and the pain and the frustrations persist and we're, give, and we're driven to God in prayer to say, remember me, remember me. You know, on a little more lighthearted note, imagine uh, this, this uh, little girl who I'll call Little Susie. Little Susie's eight years old and uh, she's disappointed with mom and dad because they haven't done something that she wanted. Now, you can make up this, this story however you want. They haven't got her a toy that she wanted, or they punished her in some way. And little Susie, in her frustration, decides that she's going to run away from home. Little Susie uh, is so sad, she goes up into her room and she begins to gather up her essential possessions that she's going to need because she's going to be out on her own poor little Susie. And as she's up there beginning to gather up her things, uh, she begins to have this internal conversation. I'll teach mom and dad a lesson. They'll miss me so much. They'll wish they had treated me differently. They'll come begging for me to run home. 
And, uh, and she has this little pity party in her mind as she begins to head out on her own. She has said, I'm going to teach them not to forget about me anymore. And then she hears what she wants to hear. The footsteps coming up the stairs and, oh good, mom's coming. She's going to get down on her hands and knees and beg me for forgiveness. This is what I need. And mom walks into the room and she's carrying a suitcase. She says, oh, look what I found in the garage, little Susie. You can have this, a suitcase. And little Susie's like, what? You're supposed to be apologizing to me. Here's mom. And look, I prepared a sandwich for you in case you get hungry out on your own. Little Susie's uh, even uh, fuming even more. She storms out of the house. And uh, as she begins to travel down the road, now here's where I, you know, I'll, I'll just be honest with you. I've, I can personally relate. It's probably about six times in my life when I tried to run away from home. Now, I uh, lived on a country road, so the ro- uh, country, so the roads were very safe. And I can imagine little Susie walking down the road, and I've thought these thoughts before. And then after a while, yeah, she's walking down the road, and she begins to think, you know, it wasn't really that bad at home. I wanted that little toy. I'm, I'm upset mom and dad punished me, but it wasn't really that bad. And she begins to think, well, actually, I have all these things in my, this suitcase, but mom gave me the suitcase and everything in this uh, mom and dad have bought to me. And so uh, she turns around and poor little Susie goes back home. And then her mom and dad can tell her how much they love her and that they will never forget about her. I get a little bit of that sense of pity party in Nehemiah's prayer. Remember me. Think about all that I have done. Now, the first of Nehemiah's three remember me prayers is the worst. Remember me for this, my God, and do not blot out what I have so faithfully done for the house of God and its services. In other words, remember how I did all that good stuff? And it seems pretty self-righteous. Look at what I've done. But then as we go on, the second prayer, Nehemiah begins to consider the mercy and love of God. Remember me for this, Nehemiah says, and show mercy according to your great love. And then in the final prayer, the third one, he says, remember me with favor, my God. Embedded in these prayers is a trust in the character of God. Now again, I'll admit I wrestle with these prayers. I wish that it felt more spiritual and righteous and the the trust in God was blatant, but I think uh, buried in there, it is there. And we call out to God not because of what we have done. Remember me because of what I've done? No, we call out to God because we trust in God's mercy, love, and favor. You know, as Nehemiah remembers the glory days and, and he begins to think, you know what, I, I miss that. I can relate to that. Because there are times in my life where I just feel like a bit disconnected from God. And I wish I was in a little closer relationship with him. I'm reading a book right now called Diary of a Pastor's Soul. And uh, so much of it just kind of 
uh, resonates with me. And there was one sentence that stuck out to me when I read it this past week. In fact, I thought when I read this sentence, I think this is kind of in line with what Nehemiah is praying. In fact, I like it better than Nehemiah's Remember Me prayer. The author Craig Barnes says, What the soul needs to thrive is to be connected to the God who created it. Let that sink in for a moment. What the soul needs to thrive is to be connected to the God who created it. The Israelites have turned away from God by breaking their promises and uh, sinning against him. Nehemiah, by crying out, remember me, is touching on something deep inside of us that knows that what our souls need more than anything else is to be connected to the God who has created us. At times we simply feel like, I miss God. When we pray, remember me, what we're saying is, God, I long to be connected to you. Our souls thrive when we are connected to the God who has created us. You know, as I said, this is our last in our sermon series on Nehemiah. And so if we look at the big picture of the book, there is a little bit of a progression. And in fact, as I said, it's a bit of a disappointing progression. D.A. Carson, the theologian, looking at Nehemiah as a whole, said, it's a lot of sin at the beginning, a little less sin in the middle, and then the most amount of sin in the end. That was his summary of the book of Nehemiah. And, Nehemiah, and, uh, and Carson comes to the conclusion, just given the pessimistic ending of the book, that the Israelites needed a Messiah. That ultimately, they couldn't follow God on their own. They hit a peak, but they couldn't follow God on their own. And I think that Carson is on to something. This is our reality. We need a Savior, a Helper. Ultimately, we need Jesus in our lives. We can't do it on our own. If we seek to do it on our own, we'll simply fall back into our old sinful ways. We need God's forgiveness and help. Two days before Jesus was crucified on the cross, he gathered his disciples in the upstairs of a Jerusalem home. Now the walls that surrounded Jerusalem at that time were the same ones that Nehemiah had helped build. They had been expanded by uh, later leaders, but this is the city in which Jesus and his disciples gathered. But on that night, Jesus wasn't thinking about walls. He was thinking about a cross. And as Jesus and his disciples reclined around the table, he passed around the bread. We know it was an unleavened loaf of bread because they were celebrating the Passover and the bread was flat and dense. And as each disciple held that bread in their hand, Jesus said that in a sense this bread was symbolic. That, it in, uh, that this unleavened bread uh, represented his body that would be broken for them. And then Jesus took the wine and he passed it around in a similar fashion. And then he gave new meaning to that. He said that the wine that they were about to drink was uh, the 
his blood that would be shed for the forgiveness of their sins. And then Jesus said something that reminds me of Nehemiah's prayer. He said, do this in remembrance of me. You see, this points us to the most important thing that we can take away from today's sermon. That we do not need to fear that God would forget us. Jesus' death on the cross shows us how much he loves us. Jesus died on the cross so, so that we can trust in him, that we will always be connected to him, even when we don't feel like it. That's what we need to remember. As Jesus hung on the cross, he, ought, he, uh, he said the most horrific words that I can imagine. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God, uh, God the Father in his holiness had to turn his eyes away from his very own son because Jesus, as he hung on the cross, he bore all the sins of the world, your sins and my sins, what would separate us from our creator. And he died a sacrificial death. You see, Jesus was forsaken so that we wouldn't be forsaken. You will never be forgotten by God. God is reminding you this morning to trust in him. We have etched on the front of this communion table uh, in remembrance of me. And uh, those, those words are there so that we will never forget how much God loves us, how much that he uh, has forgiven us of. We'll never forget that he is always with us. You see, God's far too all-knowing and far too all-loving to ever forget us. The danger we face is not that, we would, that he would forget us, but that we might forget him. And so now this morning we gather around the communion table to pray, not God remember me, but rather God help me to remember you. As Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Remembering that our souls will thrive when we are connected to the one who has created us. As Rod comes and uh, prepares to uh, play for us in the communion, I invite you to take this time to, in a sense, pray that remember me prayer, but to pray it with a heart of longing to be in communion and connection with God. You know, sometimes we call this the Lord's Supper, and sometimes we call this communion. And I kind of like the name communion because it is our opportunity to commune with God. Uh, really, that's what the Christian life is all about. The fact that God comes into our lives to commune with us. Sometimes we don't feel that, and I understand it, because that's what our souls long for. But what we have here in our fingertips, this little wafer that represents Jesus' body and this juice that represents his blood, is the promise that he will never leave us nor forsake us. This is, this is the hope that we have as followers in, of, of Jesus Christ.
I understand Nehemiah's frustration as he walks through the city uh, and he sees how the people have fallen away. And as Carson said, what they needed was a Messiah. Well, good news. We have the Messiah. We have a Savior. And the good news is that when Jesus died on the cross, was rose from the dead, and ascended into heaven, he sent his Holy Spirit to live inside of us. So we have not only a Savior, but we have a helper as well so that we can live in communion with God. And this is what we remember when we partake of these elements. So let me pray for us, and then uh, Rod will give us a moment to reflect and to pray among ourselves, and uh, then we will take the elements together. Father God, we thank you. As we come before you, we want to pray, God, remember me, remember us. And really what we may be praying is, God, just help us to feel the connection that we have with you. Help us to draw near to you, to realize that you are close by our side. And God, even if we don't feel that, help us to move forward with faith, knowing that your death, that Jesus' death on the cross is fully sufficient, that there is nothing there is no sin. If we have trusted in him, there is no sin that could separate us from you. And you have given us the Holy Spirit that we can walk in fellowship and in communion with you. So God, come and minister to us now as we have this time in prayer. I invite you to take your communion elements and pull out the wafer. God says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink.
God's word goes on to say, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray one more time. Father God, we thank you for the sacrificial death on the cross that Jesus died for us. God, we thank you for the promises that are in his death and his resurrection. That our sins are forgiven, that there is nothing that stands between us and our maker. And God, I pray that we would rest on those promises. God, there are seasons in our life where we may feel disconnected from you, or may, we may even feel like uh, we have been forgotten by you or that we miss you. And God, I pray that we would come back through the cross and we would remember you, that we would, that you, that we would remember that you have promised us that we have new life in you and that you will never leave us nor forsake us. And so, God, today, on this Independence Day that we celebrate the freedoms that we have as this country, God, I pray that we would rejoice in that freedom, that we know that we have been forgiven of our sins, that we have been washed clean, and that we have been called children of yours. And so, God, may we rejoice and celebrate that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.